Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 20. The title of today's message is Two Trees. Two Trees. Last Sunday, we looked at Jesus' first warning in this closing section. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, the first warning was beware of the way that you choose, and we looked at the two ways. Everyone here is traveling. You are on life's journey. You are on one way or the other. There are only two ways. And Jesus, last Sunday, encouraged, invited, exhorted us to look through that gate, look down the way, look at the crowds that are on these two different ways, and where is the destination of the way that you are on? False teachers, they stand at the entrance of that narrow gate. They are all along the way shouting this message, a false message a false gospel. They attempt to mute the message of Jesus. They attempt to edit the message of Jesus and say, you don't have to do all that. You don't have to subscribe to all that. You don't need to listen and take it that seriously. The first sermon that I ever preached, I was thinking of it this morning that I would not know at that young age in high school when this message and my dad helped me prepare the message from James chapter 1, but that this message would and ought to and by God's grace will hold me to the fire for as long as I have breath and sanity to be able to put sentences together and be coherent in preaching the word. James 1, it's a warning. And this is the warning from the half-brother of Jesus, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Wow, what bedhead I have this morning. Well, I'm busy, I'm gone, I'm out. There's a different way, and it's verse 25, and this is the desire of my heart, and I pray that it's the desire of your heart. But the one who looks, and that's the word with investigation, it's not a passing glance, but looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Or in other words, he'll be blessed in the doing of the word. He'll be blessed in hear, receive, and obey. Haven't we heard this now multiple times, right? Week after week after week. It's the final words before the word is unfolded. Hear this message. That's wonderful. There's a blessing to hear the message. We gather under the teaching of God's word on the Lord's day. It's the priority and pinnacle of our week. 
but we're to receive. Let that message sink down in. Let that message not just run off like a flash flood. Let it sink in and penetrate the heart and the mind and your soul. And then we say, God, help me to do what I can't humanly do. I have no ability to humanly obey this message. I have no ability. This, this message is not a, here's a message from Jesus that'll improve your life. This message is a message from the Son of God that sinks you and me. And the very same message gives us a Savior who rescues us. It's not about what we have done or do. It's about what he has done in our place. And we respond. There's always a danger, beloved, of being taken in by a counterfeit. Some of you have been caught in a scam, in a scandal. Anybody ever been taken by a con artist who was very good at what they did? Yeah? That's probably all of us. But it looks so believable. There are schemes everywhere that attempt to take possessions from you. Oh, I'll watch that for you. <laughs> right out of your possession. Money, sex trafficking, attempting to scandal, steal people. You hear of this? Malls, rest stops, and people go missing, children go missing. But what we're talking about today is the scandal that would steal your soul. This is, this is one you don't recover from if you are in eternity, who you listen to. Recently, uh, my phone started alerting me. We got updated our phones. Do you have this coming on your phone now when it's an unrecognized number? Scam likely. <laughs> While I was preparing this message in the final stages, I look over on my phone on my desk and I was like, hang on, screenshot. <laughs> Scam likely, unrecognized number. Well, you know, they're trying to warn you. You might answer it, but if you answer it, don't answer it, you know, grandma, no. Scam likely. This closing section of Jesus' sermon is the line in the sand. This sermon is not simply and merely to be admired. Oh, what a great teaching. It'll change your life. It's to be applied. The sermon was not given for the purpose of our conjecture and debate, debate and constant critique. It was given for our commitment to embrace as disciples. So the preacher can show you the two options. He can show you and tell you about the two ways. And Jesus can tell you about the two trees. But beloved, I can't choose for you and you can't choose for me. But you must choose. So let's hear and let's understand. And by God's grace, may we respond in obedience to the word of the Lord today. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Jesus begins with the warning. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. 
Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is the word of our King. Amen? What a privilege we have to hear this. Warning number two, beware of false prophets. It is our desire to think biblically. It is our desire to live biblically. Is that your desire? Or does your opinion or perhaps your perspective, is that more important to you than what Scripture says? Oh, by God's grace, we desire that Scripture would carry the most weight in our decision-making process. All right, even this morning, Russ said, we want you, we're calling you to be in a small group, to walk together. And there is where we're faced with, here's my opinion, here's my schedule, here's my perspective, here's what I'm being called to do. How do I respond? And this happens in so many ways. And Jesus warns his followers here, warning there's a clear and present danger of false prophets, false teachers. Four reasons we're going to unpack together. Why Jesus would have his followers beware of these false prophets. Number one, because they are dangerous. They're dangerous. So Jesus is saying, warning, don't be taken captive by them. Scam likely, don't answer the phone thinking it's a family member. Hello, just need to get that credit card. Oh, okay. Yeah, this, is, this is Bob, right? Yeah, no, what? They're dangerous. Beware of false prophets, Jesus says. So behold the ancient test. I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. Beware, he's putting on warning. We talked about this last Sunday, the tornado warning that came through. Everyone made it to safety as far as we know last week in Armada. Behold the ancient test. What exactly is a false prophet? Well, a false prophet is one who is disqualified and they're dangerous because of their message and their manner of life. It's not one or the other. Some try to say, well, it's all about their message is wrong. Don't worry about their life. Or it's all about their life. It has nothing to do with their message. No, it's their message and their manner of life. Sinclair Ferguson helpfully puts it this way. He says, simply put, a prophet was one who spoke from God. A false prophet is one who falsifies God's word either by openly contradicting it or, more likely, by twisting its meaning. Oh, you think that's what the Bible means? Well, here's our book that goes along with the Bible and it will explain. Here's our publication from the Watchtower. That will help you understand. So there's a warning. And this morning, let's look at Moses and what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy 13, and here Moses gives a warning. We're just going to look at the first five verses. Deuteronomy 13, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder... Oh, look at the sign. Look at the wonder. And the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, oh, we should listen to him, right? We listen to him. His sign came to pass. And then his message is this. Let us go after other gods, which you have not known. And let us serve them. 
Verse three, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or of that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Like, wow, capital punishment in Israel? Yes. That's how seriously the Lord took his word in the mouth of someone who comes. Don't forget, when Moses went into Egypt and he had signs, Pharaoh's guys had signs too. But I always love it that Moses' staff just like swallowed up the other serpents. You know, like, all right, come here, boy. My staff is gone. My, what happened to my rod? Something different about Moses' God. Go to Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18. There's to be a difference between God's people and all of the nations that they were displacing in the land of Canaan who served false gods, false messages, idolatry. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Listen to him. Speaking of Jesus, Verse 16, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. You shouldn't, we shouldn't live in the presence of this God. This is what we studied this past week in vacation Bible school. Who is this God? It's consuming fire, verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him, and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Are you listening to the message of your king? Are you listening to the message of the king of kings? Do your ears hear what the good shepherd has to say? Because he's telling of Jesus. Look at verse 20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? They had a really big sign on I-94 saying Jesus was coming back. How do we know if they're from God or not from God? This is an ancient test. This isn't anything new. Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. 
The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Don't worry about him. But they sold a lot of books. I can still remember the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Would Return in 1988. What in the world? Somebody had a new revelation, and they're still coming with it in our day, and they never give up. They just revise. Go with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23, there's, there's a warning early on in this passage to those who would be leaders in Israel. Warning. Calling the volunteer firemen. Jeremiah 23, I'm just going to begin at verse 9, and we're reading extended passages because understand, the people in Jesus' audience, they knew their Old Testament. They knew these passages. They were waiting on the one Moses said, wait for him and listen to him. So this didn't take them by surprise. They simply didn't like the message. It offended them. So Jeremiah says, giving the word of the Lord, Jeremiah 23, verse 9, concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me, all my bones shake. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and because of his holy words. Okay, what is he saying? This message is heavy on me and it's messed me up. This is heavy. Who can bear up under the word of the Lord? What's the situation in, in the land of God's people, he tells us, verse 10, for the land is full of adulterers because of the curse of the land mourns. And the pastures of the wilderness are dried up. Their course is evil and their might is not right. Both prophet and priest are ungodly. Even in my house, I have found their evil, declares the Lord. Therefore, their way shall be to them like slippery paths in the darkness into which they shall be driven and fall. For I will bring disaster upon them in the year of their punishment, declares the Lord. In the prophets of Samaria, I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from his evil. All of them have become like Sodom to me and its inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, behold, I will feed them with bitter food and give them poisoned water to drink. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, ungodliness has gone out into all the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. If this isn't modern for us, and contemporary for us, as denomination by denomination just caves and falls and tell people and bless people in all types of sin, saying, well, we'll lose members 
if we don't stand for what God says. And we surely don't want people to think that we're, you know, narrow-minded. Verse 18. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word? Or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest. It will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied and made billboards and web pages and YouTube sites. Verse 22, but if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned them from their evil way and from their, the evil of their deeds. You hear what God is saying? Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal? Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream, but let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, says the Lord? Is my word like a fire? Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord? And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, underline that one. It's like a fire and like a hammer, and everyone and everything comes under the gaze of the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord remains. Amen. Therefore, behold, verse 30, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from one another. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare, declares the Lord. Behold, I am against those who prophesy lying dreams, declare, declares the Lord, and who tells them, and who tell them and lead my people astray by their lies and their, in their recklessness when I did not send them or charge them. So they do no profit, this people at all, declares the Lord. When one of this people or prophet or priest asks you, what is the burden of the Lord? And you, you shall say to them, you are the burden and I will cast you off, declares the Lord. And as for the prophet, priest, or one of the people who says the burden of the Lord, I will punish that man in his household. Thus you shall say to every, everyone to his, his neighbor and everyone to his brother, what has the Lord answered? Or what has the Lord spoken? But the burden of the Lord you shall not mention no more. You shall mention no more. For the burden is every man's own word, and you pervert the words of the living God, the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you shall say to the prophet, what has the Lord answered you? Or what has the Lord spoken? But if you say the burden of the Lord, thus says the Lord, because you have said these words, the burden of the Lord, when I sent to you saying, you shall not say the burden of the Lord. 
Therefore, behold, I will surely lift you up and cast you away from my presence, you and the city that I gave to you and your fathers, and I will bring upon you everlasting reproach and perpetual shame, which shall not be forgotten. Do you think, beloved, that it matters if we hear, understand, and obey the word of the Lord? That is just a small glimpse of what the Old Testament has to say about the word of the Lord, the word of the King. And now we are coming to the close of this sermon and the people are listening and they're listening to Jesus speak. They know the ancient test and now we have to say this, beware of the modern threat. It's not just for a people that are gone, long gone, generations gone. This is to us. The New Testament is filled with warnings. We looked at some of those last Sunday about the threats to the church, threats to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we must be on our guard at all times. We're to think biblically and God help us to live biblically. It's a modern threat. Daniel Aiken says it this way. He says, false teachers use deadly mathematics. I like this. They add to the Bible. They subtract from the person and work of Jesus. They multiply the requirements of salvation. And don't miss this one. Divide the people of God by a divisive and destructive spirit. Run that through the grid of the people who may return to knocking on your door. Maybe even how you were brought up and the tradition that you were brought up in It's not enough to just Jesus, to trust in Jesus. No, 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 you need and, and, add to the Bible, subtract from the person. Oh, good teacher, good teacher, but son of God, God in flesh, no, no. Multiply the requirements of salvation and divide the people of God. There are well-known external threats. We are aware of the cults. They deny the true identity of Jesus like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, Islam. Oh, peace be upon Jesus. And then deny his deity. Scientology, Christian science, so on and on we can go. They often, you know, give respect or honor to Jesus, but most of the time they just use Jesus. So they can come in like an angel of light and steal people away saying, but it seems so nice. They twist scripture to support their error. Then there's what is a little more harder to detect. It's a little more difficult, and it's works-based religions. Those are often within Christendom. They would fit within what they would refer to themselves. If you say, would you consider yourself to be a Christian? And they would say, of course. I mean, I was born in Toledo. I was born in Ann Arbor. I was born in Detroit. I, of course I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Doesn't that make me a Christian? I was baptized. I was this. I was the other. What kind of a bad person do you think I am to insinuate that I might not be a Christian? Works-based religion pervert the teaching of Jesus by taking away or adding to his gospel. So any church or denomination that mixes faith plus anything for salvation. Faith is good, but 
you need to be uh, baptized. Uh, You must be a member of our church, baptized by our church in order to be saved. You have to have this experience, maybe it's gifts, or you have to do these certain things that we say are the spirit moving. You have to do those things or we can't really give you a confirmation. Communion, you must partake of communion through our only way. And here's what's different. All of these things in this false view are for salvation. We would hold that all of those are very important that we're saved for these things, for obedience. But I'm not saved by my baptism, my membership, communion, any good work, anything that I do. I've been saved. Now I can see baptism and communion and church membership and serving in the light of I'm part of the family. So this is an outworking. It's not for my salvation. It's from salvation. And then you have to apply that grid. Where am I in hearing and responding to this message? And where have I, or where do I need to respond in obedience? Have I confessed Jesus as Lord? Have I followed him as Lord and King and been baptized and told everybody? And I participate in communion. I'm a part of a local fellowship of believers observing these ordinances as we wait his return, carrying out his mission. Is he my King or do I just have respect for him? big difference. So there's external threats, but then we see there's internal threats. And we need to understand in this modern threat, external, those are often easy to identify. Cults, usually people of God can sniff those out. Trying to work through your upbringing and trying to work through, but I loved my grandparents so much and they were devoted to this and we did this. And and, and what really is the truth? But there's subtle internal threats, and these are harder to, de- to detect. There are teachers and there are followers who minimize the gospel, and sometimes they get fixated on other areas of the Christian life, like baptism, membership, speaking in tongues, or whatever. Now, we'll say this teaching something wrongly, like Apollos was, didn't have all of the information, does not immediately put someone in a false teacher category. I wish I could tell you that everything I've ever said behind this pulpit or any other pulpit has been 100% actually true. I can't. I've said things I disagree with because I'm not Jesus. I've been bought by Jesus, but I'm not perfect and sinless like Jesus. So if that was the, oh, there he said it, false teacher. No, 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 don't, don't be so quick on this. I have areas of theological disagreements with many of the great men of God. Often I quote them, and you see their names. That doesn't mean that I subscribe to everything that they believe about infant baptism or or whatever it else may be. We may have disagreements of end times. We may have disagreements on, on other areas, but I'm able to appreciate and humbly be thankful for their ministry and their faithfulness when it comes to commentaries they've written, hymns that have been written, even that we can't say, even though they struggled as those hymn writers, if you knew everything there there was to know about the hymns that you love, you'd have to really second guess, can I really sing that hymn? Here's what you have to do. Is the, are the lyrics true? Are the lyrics according to scripture? Every author, every pastor, every speaker is still sinful. 
though redeemed. And we struggle. So our greatest protection here is what does the Bible say? What does the Bible mean? And how do I obey? When we leave off that last part, that just gives us big fat heads to argue everywhere we go and just light up arguments on Facebook or wherever else and debate, debate, debate and turn into dysfunction, divisive people. There are professing Christians who buy into false teaching. YouTube is filled with speakers who share their messages to followers, followers who are constantly searching for the venue that will support what they believe to be true. And this can be about political positions, medical suspicions, end times predictions, and people you just search and search until you find the person that says what you thought was right all along. Put me in an echo chamber, please. Just don't let scripture speak. And if they can even use the Bible to prove their point somehow, twist it, then that even makes it better. And I can fire off an email to my pastor. And I'm not just speaking to our people. We have people watching from all over and two pastors here that could probably, I haven't counseled with them about this, but this is... This is the way that it goes in ministry and people that you love dearly and you say, you're watching who? Do they know your name? Did they lead you to faith in Christ? Did they go with you through the waters of baptism? Were they there when your family member was sick in the hospital? Did they love, do they love you? They don't know your name. And what are they trying to do? Get you to drop out of church and go to YouTube church and send your money to them. And it's devastating to families, and it's devastating to churches. It's as if Jesus never told us, watch out, beware, warning. But he has. All these Christians who, they profess to be followers of Christ, but they prioritize their personal preferences, that's their litmus test. And they search for the church that meets each of their personal requirements. What does that manifest, beloved? A lack of understanding of what the church is, a lack of humility, a lack of biblical submission, a lack of obedience to scripture, a lack of submission to biblically qualified pastors and elders, and a genuine commitment to the body of Christ. But here's the sad thing, they often can't see this. They don't know this. And they go missing from a body. And how do we respond then as a body of believers? How do we respond? Often the legalist will have areas of sin or habits that other people find offensive, but they quickly dismiss those because they're standing alone for the truth. Go with me to Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two, here's Jesus' own word to a church that had the best of the best leadership. Right now, you're you're stuck, hashtag you know, maybe blessed with Russ and myself. This church, Apostle John, Apostle Paul, I mean, they had, they had the best. 
You walk through the hallway of who were, who were our pastors in the past. Any, any brother is going to walk through thinking, my feet don't fit those shoes. And listen to what Jesus says. Revelation 2, verse 1. <laughs> I suppose I better get out of Ephesians. I was thinking Ephesians. <laughs> Revelation 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I, Jesus speaking, know your works, your toil and your patience, patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. You are a fighting church. You are doctrinally sound. You know what's right and you call out people when they're wrong. Verse four, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. You're doctrinally sound and you're jerks. You're unkind. If there was a bullseye on me, It'd be right there. Now fix this and offend someone. So what does Jesus say? This is so encouraging. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, to let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Do you hear that Jesus is doing what he's calling us to do and that church to do? Yes, know the truth. Yes, stand for what is right. But beware lest we become like those in Ephesus and we're just mean and we cease to care about people and we care only about I'm right and I will win at all costs. Last I checked in my own history, that doesn't work too good for relationships. Number two, number one, they're dangerous. Number two, they come in disguise. They come in disguise. They're not easy to spot. They don't come in with a scam likely. Hi there, can I talk to you today? No, they don't say that. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears a bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So let's unpack these disguised ones. Their exter external appearance is kind. Okay, they come clothed in good works. When I was in Zambia, the mosque that was established just down the road did all kinds of feeding, all kinds of, we'll take care of you. Very kind. I praise God for the young man 
that took off his cap and became a follower of Jesus Christ when we were there years ago, 2015. They pretend to be one of us. You know, sound like a sheep. Something's radically different about them. The teeth look different, if you look closely. The eyes are a little different. Uh, When they're connected to the ground, there's something a little different in their posture than sheep. Because Jesus says they're ravenous wolves. And they come masquerading, they come disguised, they come pretending. So they use the right lingo and they do helpful things for others and they gain access in the body of Christ, but their motive is wrong. I'll quiet it down just a little bit. (laughs) My bad. You're sleeping so well. Now the Apostle John, he warned about the problem, the whole John's ministry, the, the first... 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. But 1 John 2, 18, he writes, Children, in the last hour, as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that this is the last hour. He said that 2,000 years ago. People are like, Pastor, I know we're in the last days now. Yeah, John would have said the same thing. So would Paul. <laughs> Jesus, anytime now. I don't think the world can get much worse. <laughs> they didn't know anything about Twitter. I don't think they care anything about it now. And John says this, they went out from us. Why? But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. This changes the perspective on trying to keep everybody in a church membership. When I talk about changing churches, I'm not talking about when you move, okay? I'm not talking about when you, you build a house 30 miles away from where you used to live and you need to find a new, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I got offended and I'm finding a new church where they will meet my standards. Sometimes I don't always say that and people who are soft hearted and you recently moved and you're looking for a church and you're like, oh no, I think he's talking to me. No, no, understand when we are consumer Christians, we're in trouble. I will find the place that does for my youth, does for my kids, does for me, has the thing. Check all the boxes. Listen to what Scripture is saying. Paul warned the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. 19. We studied this some time back. For there must be factions among you. And every pastor says, no, Lord, please, no. Can't we all just get along? Well, why, Paul in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. And I think I said it last week. I don't say it enough how thankful I am for the people who have been faithful. I was talking to Kelly just, what, yesterday or the day before. 23 years she's been our church custodian. 23 years. Thank you, Kelly. Like, the longevity and the faithfulness of God's people, there's really nothing hidden. Like, the Munoz don't know about the wises or, you know, on and on I could go. 15 years, Nicole is our secretary. Do you know what a blessing that is? We're way past the getting to know you stage. Now we're together getting to know Christ, seeing his goodness in our lives. They're external. Oh, that's so kind. They're so nice. I've heard people say this. But pastor, they knock on my door and she's so kind. 
yeah, well, let scripture speak to this. Their internal reality is killer. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. These animals were and are deadly beasts. They attack when they've gained advantage by numbers. Have you seen the little video of the police officer at the night? And I think it's a bridge camera. And he's got a, he's got a car pulled over. He's talking to them. And all of a sudden, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty blurry. It's at night, not a high-quality camera. And pretty soon, the police officer is getting in the back door. And he closes the door in that person's car. His squad car is across the road. And you're like, this is odd. What? He needs a ride? His is just over there. And then comes this shadowy pack of wolves running through, probably out west somewhere. And they're gone. And the back door opens. And he gets out. And he probably says, have a good night, and goes and gets in his squad car. <laughs> he didn't flash a badge. They're wolves. I'm not going to try and pet them. I'm going to do what I got to do to get out of harm's way. And that's what he did. I crack up when I see that video. Charles Quarles, he says it this way. He says, false teachers disguise themselves as Jesus' disciples in order to live undetected among the sheep of the flock and thus devour the sheep with great ease. All right, their internal reality is killer. Jesus makes a truth claim in verse 16. He just says this, point blank, you're gonna recognize them, epignosco. You're gonna, you're gonna fully understand these people. Let me tell you how. Look at their fruit. The fruit of their lips, this is what they believe, this is their teaching, this is their conversation, and the fruit of their lives, their behavior, their lifestyle, their conduct. It's all gonna be, is it Christ-like? Are they like Jesus? Jesus has a basic illustration in verse 16. He's just saying, whatever kind of tree you have or a vine, that's what you're going to get. Can you get grapes off a thistle? I hate thistles. I was mowing over some thistles this week, stubborn things. They get thick. You don't get anything good, but you try to grab that thing in anger, it'll show you who's boss. You better have the right gloves on. Like, aha, I'm a thistle. No grapes here. So, so remember this, when you were walking through your grass in barefoot and you step on that thistle, whoa, what kind of fruit am I bearing? Jesus, here's another preacher preaching at me, a little illustration, everywhere we go. You're eating grapes this afternoon. What did they come off of, class? A grapevine. You're eating an apple, came off an apple tree. So what is he doing? The whole audience is like, oh, I got this one. I have this one figured out. Now he's making sense to me. Do we get figs from thistles? No way. What's his point? The fruit is in like manner of the tree that he came from. It's what we call a no-brainer. And Jesus is saying, honestly, class, church, disciples, this is a no-brainer unless you want to make your relationship to that divisive person more important than Jesus' relationship to his church. Now you have a run-in. Jesus gives a brilliant application in verses 17, 18. He says, the quality of fruit is depends upon the tree that it comes from. If you have a good tree, you're going to get good fruit. If you have a diseased tree, then you're going to get diseased and bad fruit. So trees are preaching to us everywhere we go. Thistles, vines, 
It's just practical here. So what is the fruit of the person speaking? What is the fruit of their lives? They're teaching. They're influencing you. They're saying whatever their opinion is about anything, and you're listening to them, and you're weighing it out. What is the fruit of their life? Would you say they are like Jesus? Are you following a mean, a divisive, an immoral, a power-hungry, a selfish teacher? Are you perhaps like this as you convey the points that are important to you? This is the grid. Am I being like Christ? Do I want to be like Christ? Am I like Christ? And then ask somebody close to you that'll tell you. Are, are you seeing me grow in Christ-likeness? That's important to me. Are we growing in Christ-likeness? A false teacher will not care about that. So Jesus just gives this practical application. False teaching, it results in false living. We're known by our message, but we're also known by our manner of life, just like James teaches in James 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. And James says, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. They go together. Faith works. If you have genuine faith, there's fruit. That's what Jesus is saying. So yes, beware of false teachers. They're dangerous. They come in disguise. And number three, warning, their end is destruction. We see this in verse 19, but it's, it's worse than just their end is in destruction. They have people following them. So everyone following them is going to the end that they're going to, and it's just like we saw last week. It's headed in the way of death. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. These individuals, they have a fundamental flaw. Their fundamental flaw is this. They are still king of their lives. They are king me. Me first. They're the king of their lives. And so as long as Jesus supports them, as long as they can find scriptures to support them, they'll use them and they'll just ignore the other ones. They serve themselves, not Jesus. And Jesus will come back to this, God willing, in our Sunday sermon next week. They don't bear good fruit. Why not? They can't. It's impossible for them to bear fruit that is actually good, good works, Ephesians 2.10. Galatians 5.19 describes what you often find with false teachers and you, you get underneath a little bit and you get to know who they are and you see some of these things. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and div divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit, very different now, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. There's fruit in our lives. What kind of fruit are we bearing? These false teachers, they missed the narrow gate of the gospel, repentance and faith in Christ, Christ alone, entering into a local visible body of believers to be part of the local church under the submission to the church leaders, to the word of God, to heaven down. 
taking this message to the whole world as part of a body of believers. These individuals are in a broad and unrestricted way, but they refuse to repent. They refuse to come under any submission because they know better or they have a superior knowledge or they just can't find the church that sufficiently meets their standards. Beware. Beware. They have a fundamental flaw. They are still king. And they're headed towards, Jesus is telling us, eternal fire. They will not inherit the kingdom of God, Paul wrote to the Galatians. This is the, this is the biggest problem any person can have. What's the solution here? You've got to come to the narrow gate. And they missed it. They're on the wide way, but they still have and engage in a lot of Bible studies and arguments. They'll be in Bible study after Bible study after a Bible study. But to be submitted and part of a church where you can't be king? No, no time for that. They're heading toward eternal destruction, and so is everyone that is taken captive by their teaching. Paul warned Timothy about this, similar to what we read last week in Acts 20. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. But understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For peoples will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. But as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, Timothy, for their folly will be plain to all as it was of those two men. By their fruits, you will know them. That's what he's saying. So they come in disguise, their end is destruction, and number four, they are exposed through discernment. It's the plan of God that these individuals are ministered to, that the church is protected from. And Jesus simply says, thus, Bring it all down. Break it down here. You will recognize them by their fruits. You're going to be watching for this. So letter A, make a right assessment. What do you see in the circles that influence you? What do you recognize? This is an assessment. What do you see in the lives of people? Are you discerning? Remember, and this chapter began. There's five verses for the overzealous. There's Matthew 7, 6, that we be careful. We're cautious with your time. The gospel, don't throw your pearls before swine. Make a right assessment. What do you see? Use discernment. Use your Bible. Evaluate those that, that you listen to. What does the Bible say? Don't be carried away, Ephesians 4, 14, by every wind of doctrine that's teaching. And keep this in mind, beloved, as you make an assessment we are not anyone's final judge. I'm not anyone's final judge. You're not going to stand before me in judgment. No one will stand before you in judgment. 
No one will stand before a pastor or a priest or the Pope or anyone on YouTube in judgment. We will all stand before Jesus Christ. He has the final word. So we can be humble and we can be kind in our assessments of others and trust in the Lord and use discernment. But then we need to make a right application. What do you then say? Well, you know me, pastor, I don't have the gift of speaking up. When you get convinced of something, you, you express your opinion. They offend you enough in the drive-thru, you'll see a manager. You'll, you'll, you'll find somebody. You'll air your complaint out. But are we really offended and do, are we really concerned about the things that matter? Because it seems to me that this really matters to Jesus that he has an expectation that we don't abandon kindness and we don't abandon being loving and tender and forbearing. But this is actually the place where it gets worked out. It's in the family of God, which is what Russ was talking about, really gets worked out in small group community and the power and the beauty of that. So what do you say? Well, speak the truth. Say what scripture says. Don't go above it and don't go below it and speak the truth in love. By God's grace, let's be like Christ and let's extend his grace and his kindness everywhere we go. Summary from Jesus, beware of false teachers. They're dangerous. They come in disguise. They're in this destruction and they are exposed through discernment. So how do we embrace and live out this sermon? This is a heavy one, isn't it? I think it's rare that you would ever find a pastor that says, oh yeah, I'm, a, I'm 10 out of 10 on this. This is just, no. Who is sufficient for these things? Our sufficiency is in God. Why are false teachings attractive to so many people? That wide, broad way. What are popular false teachings the church needs to guard against? And how can we effectively stand against false teachings? And I would add, and still be loving, faithful, forbearing, gentle, kind. You can pray for me in that as I pray for you. Let's stand together. Our only hope, beloved, is in Jesus. And I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing a song of what we believe, what matters. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. Father, thank you for bringing us to this place under your word. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.